0: What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast version 221, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We've got a lot to get into today. We're going to talk, taking a look back at the Cowboys draft class that finally reached that four-year window, guys getting new contracts in some instances and turned out to be a pretty damn good draft. We'll get into that. Taking a look at some of the contracts around the NFL, We've got the block. We've got the, the Mavs coming towards the end of the season, the final four. A lot to get into, but we don't get into any of that without telling you about greening law first, because if you had the weekend where you, you got in that car accident and you're hurt or you were standing in line at an establishment and something fell off the ceiling and landed on your head, you need to call the attorneys at greening law because they will fight that legal battle for you. They take on the insurance companies. They are your fierce legal competitor.
1: Dude, the thing about it is it doesn't cost anything to pick up the phone and call grinning Law and say, hey, here's what happened to me. Here's the details of my situation. What do you think? And if they take you on as a client, hey, it's your lucky day because they will work for you. They will grind for you. They're one of the best in the country at what they do. They answer questions that you don't even know are supposed to be asked. They give you answers you didn't know you were supposed to have. And none of it costs you anything to pick up the phone and get
0: that. Which is fantastic. I mean, I've I've been working with them since last July when I had my car accident. So what is it, about eight months ago, coming up on nine months ago when I had my car accident. They've been working with me, and and it's just been a seamless process. So if you've got questions and you think you've got a case, give them a call. Contact the attorneys at Greening Law, 972-934-8900. Write it down, save it, keep it accessible, 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. So we're going to have an interesting, I I think, conversation here because you sent this article over, and we've had this dude, and we had our radio show. He was on our radio show many times. But Charles Robinson, the senior Yahoo NFL columnist, had, I guess it was a podcast he was on, and they kind of went down the rabbit hole on the quarterback contract and it's something that you and I, when we were doing the radio show and the DAC contract was a thing, people just didn't seem to understand how it works. And I always thought that was interesting of where quarterback contracts are, where they're going, they're not going to go down. Nope. people thought for, well, well, DAC should just take 25. Like, why would you do that when every contract that's getting signed it is somebody that's pushing it up. Now, I do think it's interesting that Pat Mahomes did the contract he did, because that almost puts a ceiling on how high you're willing to go to some degree. Because Mahomes can look at it and say, "Well, I've got a ring. I've played in two Super Bowls. I got paid this money." And it may right. that that kind of feels like right now it's the ceiling. Like Josh Allen got his, and Kyler Murray's about to get his, and Deshaun Watson, and all those guys kind of settled right underneath Pat. Because they couldn't walk in and and show the resume that Pat Mahomes could show.
1: No, but that's okay, man. Ain't nobody sitting on the streets, uh, homeless, looking for what to eat, making 30-whatever-million dollars a year. 30 million a year. Like, we look at Baker Mayfield, oh, he's got chump change. Baker Mayfield is guaranteed 18 million this year. Yep. 18.8, I might add. That's correct. Um, So, he's okay. Like, do you know how much money 18 million is? And we're like,
0: <laughs> it's a lot.
1: There's nothing you can't buy with 18 million. There's no place you can't go. And it's, you know, it's there. So the thing about it is the contracts keep going up. It doesn't matter whether it's quarterbacks, receivers, whatever the contracts keep going up. Uh, the salary goes up. I don't think it's as, as fast a rate, but, Teams just have to, to me, they just have to get smarter about
0: how they deal with these things as opposed to the way that they've been dealing with them, which is why they, we have these questions. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because you start looking at this and now, again, the, the way that the money works out, like the Aaron Rodgers deal, his new deal, his annual average value is $50.2 million. That's Aaron Rodgers at the top of the heap. Then you've got Deshaun Watson, who is now at 46, Pat Mahomes at 45, Josh Allen at 43. And as we told everybody this would happen, we're like, you get a year into this thing, Dak will be fifth, then he'll continue to fall down. Dak is already fifth right now in average value per year at 40 million. Stafford's at 40 million. You know, the thing of it is when you look at these guys, like like Carson Wentz is at 32. Goff is at 33.5. Kirk Cousins is at 35. And so now it's like, okay, well, if you want just like an average quarterback in the NFL, you're walking into the room knowing that that guy's getting $35 million.
1: which is insane because you don't even have to be great anymore to get paid it's just there's only 32 jobs of these and check this out man there's only 32 of these jobs in the world and there's really only about 12 or 13 people who are actually excellent at that job Mm -hmm. so you trying to get a really good quarterback there's only like 10 or 12 of them in the league man um, and so you have to pay those guys. And because they make so much, you can literally say, just like Baker Mayfield, in a sense, okay, you're right. I am half the quarterback of Aaron Rodgers. And so I'll take my, you know, $18 million a year. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, this is what is interesting about it as well as we're seeing Kyler Murray do this right now. It's, it has become, if you are a first-round draft pick, or really not even in the first round, but a lot of these guys' first-round picks – If you have some modicum of success your first three seasons, then after year three, you go and you say, I want to get extended now. Yep. And that's what Kyler Murray is doing this offseason with the Cardinals. I'll extend. You can extend me, but you're going to have to extend me now. And in a way, it helps the team because they can say, well, it's a four year contract extension worth whatever, but then they can spread out the signing bonus on the fourth and fifth years of the original deal if they wanted to. And so we're seeing a lot of that. It's going to happen the year after that. Kyler's about to get paid. Next year, you've got Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and potentially Tua, depending on what happens with Tua this year. But it looks like the Chargers and the Bengals, the Bengals especially, are going to look at that and go, okay, if you're Joe Burrow after year three, you just took us to a Super Bowl. We've got to keep you here because you're basically a god in Cincinnati. What's it going to cost us? Oh, yeah. Like Joe Burrow's already got his money locked up. I mean, he's probably like- $50 million a year you know
1: god if he takes him on another run he he will be i still think that aaron rodgers and mahomes are at a level where where the other guys can't say yet but burrow will be in the conversation especially because cincinnati you know they haven't they haven't been that kind yeah. of franchise in a long time and they are they're actually a cheap franchise and so i don't think they're going to pay anybody else anyway and so they're like as long as we got the quarterback here we're good, so just pay the quarterback, whatever. We'll go cheap everywhere else, and it'll all be okay.
0: Yeah, it could be, man, but that, that's where I think that th- that's really interesting. Like, the Deshaun Watson contract to me that the Browns gave him, I thought he got paid with the Texans, and the Browns gave him this new extension that gets him up to 46 a year. And, and I think if you're some of these other quarterbacks, like, like if you're Burrow, don't you kind of walk in and go, I mean, what has Deshaun Watson done? Like, honestly, what has he done? Because I took you to the Super Bowl.
1: Not just that, man. The caveat is... His deal completely guaranteed. $230 million. And so now, you know, the signing bonus has been the only guaranteed part of these deals. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe we guarantee the first two seats. But there's, 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 I don't know that anybody else has got a fully guaranteed deal. Well, it's outside just of like cousins. Law. Right. But it's just like precedence and law, bro. All it takes is one. Yeah. And so now those quarterbacks, they're going in like, I need my deal guaranteed, please and thank you.
0: Yeah, and, and that's where these quarterback contracts are getting out of control. And, you know, that was kind of the whole idea of this topic is thinking at what point does it stop?
1: Well, not just that, but, you know, and I think you had to stat once about once quarterbacks get paid, they don't get to the uh, they, their teams don't get to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, But, you know, there's always a variety of issues in terms of why you don't get to the Super Bowl. Number one, it's hard to do no matter how your team or quarterback or salary is set up. But the other thing is, man, um, with these salaries going like they are, teams just have to take, and this is one of my least favorite words in the dictionary, a a much more proactive approach to getting deals done. Um, Because, just like Dak, if they just figured out that the price never goes down, and I'm not a genius, although I am highly intelligent. I told them, I wrote this many, 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 many times. The price on quarterbacks don't ever go down. And so you trying to haggle about it and trying to get it down, it's just a dumb move. It's a move based on futility. And so what happens is these teams need to go and get the done, actually get the deal done. If, the, if he's the guy you like, you don't need to haggle. You need to go get it done early. In um, reading Charles Robinson's article because his article if I were a journalism professor and I am I'd say the article really is not what it portends to be and Charles is one of the best reporters out there but the and, and he didn't write the headline because reporters don't write the headline but the story is basically trying to say that all these high-paid quarterbacks are making teams not be able to keep this other talent but then he goes on the right. Well, it's not really quarterback's fault. He goes, teams need to be more need to get involved in negotiating earlier so they don't reach these stalemates. Yeah. Well, well, none of that has to do with the quarterbacks and their money. This is about the teams, man. If you know you want Devontae Adams, then you go out and make him feel wanted and go overpay him early in the process where you can try to get him done. You know, which is what they didn't do with Dak. And so, you know, man, teams just have to get smarter and understand where the business is going and how it's going. It ain't that complicated to read the tea
0: leaves in this particular situation. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if some of these young kids, like Josh Allen's a great example of this, because Josh Allen got paid, but the real money of his extension hadn't hit yet. Last year, he only carried a cap hit of $10.2 million. Right. Well, in a couple of years, that's going to go up to 41.7, then 51.2. Will the Bills still be able to? And that's kind of like why they went out and paid a bunch of money to Von Miller. The Bills are going for it now because in 2022, Josh Allen's cap hit is 16.3. Then it jumps up to 39.7 in 2023. So they're kind of figuring out a way in the way that his contract is structured. And again, part of that because of them being able to spread it out on that rookie contract as well, where you extended him. And it'll be interesting to see some of these guys that we all believe are the best. Like is Mahomes, once you get into the money of that contract, is is that perhaps a reason why they moved on from Tyreek Hill? Because they paid Pat Mahomes so much money.
1: It is, but, you know, let me see. I think some of it's you got to draft better. And then if you look at their deals, at some point you knew you were going to have to pay Tyreek Hill, man. Yep. Um, you would have been better off paying Tyreek Hill than Travis Kelsey. And here's why. He's a more explosive player. He's also the younger player. I mean, or, you know, and that's what I mean by you have to be able to read the tea leaves. You know, right after they lost to San Francisco in the Super Bowl, they went out and paid big money for a free agent guard and big money for a free agent tackle. The tackle I can get with, I ain't paying big money for a free agent guard, bro. I'm just not. Because I can read the tea leaves and say that at some point I gotta pay Tyreek. At some point I gotta pay Kelsey. I might draft a guard. You know, I might get the next second, the next tier under the best guard in the league just so I can function. But, I, you know, that was money that you didn't have to spend. Now, you got the left tackle and the left guard counting $40 million against the salary cap, yeah. bro. And so some of it was just how you spend your money, man, because the salary cap ain't nothing. For you guys listening, check this out. The salary cap ain't nothing but a budget when you're doing your own budget at home when you're having your own conversations and you say, hey, I want a new car. Well, what do you want? Well, I want a car. You probably get it from Blue Star Motor Group, but I want one that costs once after the financing, you know, it's $800 a month. And then you look at your budget, Matt, and you go, can we slot that in there? If so, you go get it. If not, what do you say, Matt? Uh, maybe that's down the road. We better get one that's $355 a month right yeah. now. That's all it is, it's just budgeting. You know, can we go on vacation this year? Yeah. Can we go to Europe and spend $5,000? Or do we need to, uh, you know, hop in a car and drive to Miami and spend $1,000? It's just budgeting. Yeah. And it, wants you Go ahead.
0: I was just, and I think, like, when you structure that with what the Chiefs did and the way that they look at that, I mean, we can all go anywhere online. The, the, these contract numbers are readily available. You know, and, and last year, Mahomes played for $7.4 on the cap. This year it'll be 35.7, and then next year it jumps up to 46.7. You know, you can see those so that when you're, to your point, going after certain people, who do we feel like is the most important piece? Because you're not going to be able to keep them all. Once Pat hits and it's going to be 36, 47 on the cap, how are we going to be able to structure these other guys to where we can keep somebody like Tyreek Hill? The Chiefs don't do that. And then when Hill comes to them and says, wait a second. And I, I think this is where other contracts catch people off guard somehow. Happened to the Cowboys yep. with Dak. I think the wide receiver contract caught the Chiefs off guard with what Adams was getting and some of these other wide receivers that have signed. So when it's time to extend Hill, they looked at it and go, we can't get to that number.
1: Well, here's the deal, bro. We say that, but it shouldn't have. You know what? <clears throat> Your boy, DeAndre Hopkins... Signed a two-year extension that was at twenty-seven and a half million. Yeah, that was the new that was the new number, and so you can say all you want to as an organization. Hey, wait a minute, that wasn't really new money. That was money locked in like the old deal, and it's you know because agents and teams always have different ways of looking at numbers. But the bottom line was, have you sliced it or diced it? It was pretty obvious that the new average per salary number that that agents were looking at which means players were looking at, was going to be 27 and a half million. So where does Devontae Adams come in? 28. You think that was a coincidence? No. Nah. He looked at DeAndre Hopkins' contract mm-hmm. and said, okay, you can do whatever you got to do, dog, but you need to give me the 28 a year. That's why the franchise tag, y'all could take that thing and shove it. Yeah. I'm at 28 a year, bro. And Tyreek Hill looked at that and said, I'm better than Devontae Adams. So y'all, that 28? Nah, bro. It's got to at least be 28 and a half, 29.
0: Yeah, see, and that's where these these short-sighted teams, you look at that and you just wonder how you couldn't see that that's what were, it, it was coming. And the fact that I think he'll last year made like 15, 16 million. Obviously, when you started seeing some of these other wide receivers, you had to know Tyreek Hill is in that conversation that he's going to be somewhere in the range of 27 to $30 million. Dude, that's, that's the cost of doing business.
1: Now, Andy Reid could be saying, you know what? My offensive scheme is outstanding. Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill is a great fit in it, but I can find another
0: great fit in it, which is basically what they're going to do. Yeah. So we'll move forward here, but an interesting conversation with some of these quarterbacks, and the, like Lamar Jackson is going to get paid, and, and Kyler and Burrow and Herbert and all these guys that are successful right now, where you're about to see five, six quarterbacks in the NFL that are about to clear forty-five to fifty million a year. You got to think. But before we move forward, we, of course, always tell you about a variety of the people that help make this whole podcast possible, including our buddies over at Smokey John's Barbecue right there off of Mockingbird in between Lovefield and 35 is a local. It's been owned by the same family for years and years. It's now two brothers, Juan and Brent, running it at Smokey John's, and it is phenomenal. Get on over there and get that Jam Session Bowl. Experience what it's like when you order that thing and everybody in the restaurant looks at you and goes, how in the world did you know that that thing existed?
1: <laughs> it's delicious, man. It's delicious. Um, you know, The thing about Smoky John's is everything on the menus is great, and the stuff off the menu is even better. And Jam Session Bowl, man, if, if y'all haven't heard, man, you get your – choice of a base of mac and cheese or uh, mashed potatoes and then two or five smoked meats you, you get to put on there um, i typically go for the sausage and the brisket man and then they put uh, all the stuff you'd find on a, on a loaded baked potato man chives sour cream drizzle it with a little of their special smoky john sauce man and it is delightful it's built for two
0: and you still have leftovers. That's exactly right. <laughs> and if you can't get to Smokey John's, it's okay, because you can jump online, click Smoky's Market, order the barbecue sauce, order the rub. They'll ship it to you wherever you are. I've got it in my pantry right now. <laughs> it was shipped to me at my address. So check them out at Smokey John's Barbecue. Fantastic place. Love those guys. And don't forget when you order that off the secret menu, it does come with the complimentary drink as well with the jam session bowl. So a little bit goes a long way there. Also, of course, as we enter the springtime, it's time for parties. It's time for company events, birthdays, anniversaries, a lot of golf tournaments happening in the spring and summer. At some point, you got to feed all these people. And you may be like, well, what am I going to do? Muddy Waters Crawfish is what I would suggest to you. The classic Louisiana boil and soak method. A customized trailer. They can do six hundred pounds at one time, and they can cover. I mean, whatever it is, man. Maybe it's just a smaller family reunion that you're having, or you've got this big corporate thing coming up this spring, and you got to feed people. I'm telling you, everybody likes crawfish,
1: dude. Their crawfish, sensational. And I'm not just saying that because I ain't really no crawfish guy, or I hadn't been until I tried Justin's, and it was head-sucking good. Mm. That's all I'm gonna. That's all I'm gonna say flavorful i mean that's really what i thought about my kids uh killed it when i took a couple pounds home and so uh yeah if you want some of the best crawfish you'll ever taste Muddy Waters is the place to go.
0: It is, and it's easy, man. You can check them out, muddywaterscrawfish.com. You can find them on their Instagram and see how delicious it all looks, Crawfish underscore TX. And keep in mind, they also can do jambalaya and pastalaya for you. So if you're into that scene, and I am telling you it is fantastic, check them out at muddywaterscrawfish.com. Let's have this other Cowboys conversation here before we get into the block, and, and we've got some fun stories for you there, but... You went and looked back at that 2018 Cowboys draft class. And that is the draft class where a lot of those guys just, well, not a lot, they all completed their fourth year if they're still in the league. And you know how it works. Did you get the second contract? Did you do what you were supposed to do? And you look at that class, man, and for the most part, that was a very strong draft class for the Cowboys back in 2018.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, a good time to look at draft class is always four years because by then uh, you've either got a second contract with the with the Cowboys or you've they you know you've put in your four years and now you're unrestricted free agent and you leave and go somewhere else um, if you're still in the league. Because don't forget, average league expectancy is like three years. Um, so you know it's not often that guys get second contracts in National Football League. Uh, but this is an interesting class because I don't think most people view it. It's any kind of good class. I think they just kind of yawn when you talk about the names. You know, Van Der Esch, Connor Williams, Gallup, mm-hmm. Doran Armstrong, Dalton Schultz, Mike White, Chris Covington, and um, Cedric Wilson and Bo Scarborough. I think most people just kind of yawn at it. But you take a deeper dive, bro. The draft, especially at the top, man, is about getting to the second contract and being productive and having real players. And they did that. With all three of the, their first three their picks in the first three rounds, and that to me is something that doesn't always happen.
0: Yeah, because you look at that man. I mean, Leighton Van Der Esch, who obviously he he showed up as a rookie when and we all thought, oh my god, this is incredible, and, and he hadn't been the same since. But still, he got a second contract. Now they they declined his fifth year option, but they got him for a one year three million dollar deal. Connor Williams was what he was. He was that pick that at the time. I don't think that they were planning on taking an offensive lineman in that draft right there but they felt that that was one of those blinking lights for the Cowboys where they had that dude. They had that guy rated much higher on their board, and when he was still there at 50, they pulled the trigger. I thought it was a great pick at the time, and obviously it turned out where he's kind of just a guy, but he's still hanging around the NFL. Gallup just got paid, paid. Dorrance Armstrong Jr. has been coming on, and he got another contract. You just franchise-tagged Dalton Schultz, and you wanted to keep Cedric Wilson. But he priced himself out because he'd done enough in his four years with the Cowboys where the Dolphins took him. But, man, you're talking about a draft class. What is that, five, six guys, four which are still on your team and two others that another team thought enough of to pay fairly decently in free agency?
1: Yeah, I was going to say, because Connor Williams was not a – you know, now he did lead the league in penalties. He's clearly not a perfect player, mm-hmm. clearly a flawed player. But he still got a two-year, $7 million deal from the Dolphins. And then cedric wilson got three years 22 million and they both went off the board pretty early in free agency they weren't sitting around wondering where they were going to land or if they were going to have jobs and that's an indication that uh you know they were coveted and and that people wanted them and um, you know the cowboys would have loved to have cedric wilson back because he proved to be a really nice player yeah especially as a third or fourth receiver but um nah man i, I just thought it was a sneaky good draft Um, every draft, you know, you want that hall of fame guy, that Micah Parsons, that guy who looks like he's going to be, you know, an all pro caliber player for a decade, but the draft is designed to fill needs and get you cheap talent for four years, whether you keep it or whether it moves on. And this draft did that
0: to a T. Yeah, it did, man. I mean, they've got some pieces out of that class and you know, it's interesting, really the only one, Mike White, the fifth round quarterback who's still in the league, believe it or not, he's with the jets now. He actually played in a couple of games last year, I believe, when Zach Wilson got hurt. He's like their second or third string quarterback with the Jets. Chris Covington only ever played in eight games in the NFL, all with the Cowboys and has been out of the league for a couple of years. The one that I think people were really intrigued by out of that class was the Bo Scarborough pick, that seventh round pick, because he was like on the heels of Derrick Henry, that big-bodied Alabama back that you couldn't believe a dude who was built like that was a running back. Looked more like a linebacker, and he just, he never was that dominant at Alabama, and he never did much. He played seven games in the NFL. I think he's bounced around practice squads on a couple of different teams. He's one of those guys, honestly, because I think he's only 25 years old. I thought he might show up in the USFL this spring.
1: Wouldn't surprise me if he did. Reminds me of this guy who, I'm interested to see where he gets taken in the draft. Uh, It's a guy named Master T. He was a, yeah. uh, he, he's a running back at Ohio State, built like a Greek god, ran 4 4 at their pro day the other day, had a great broad jump, you know, just a fantastic athlete. Uh, but when he played, you know what he was, man? Uh, he was a good player, much like Bo Scarborough was at Alabama. He's a big, strong, fast guy with zero wiggle, which means if there's a hole, and he gets through it. Yeah. He can do some damage, but he's not going to make anybody miss. Uh, you know, that's what caught up with Herschel Walker in the league. You know, because Herschel Walker didn't have any wiggle. He had great vision, so you put him in I formation, let him pick a hole and go. And he had great speed, which made up for him not having a lot of wiggle. But Uh, you know, those guys who don't have wiggle, man, it is hard for them to make it in the league because defensive players are so good and so fast.
0: Yeah, and and that's exactly what Bo Scarborough was. And he just never turned in anything. But point being, again, with this draft class, when you look at it, they nailed it. I mean, that's pretty damn good out of nine picks that six of them are still in the league. And, you know, again, Connor Williams and Cedric Wilson aren't with the Cowboys anymore. They just signed with the Dolphins. Connor Williams is going to start... I feel sorry for Tua with him in the line, but he's going to start <laughs> for the Dolphins on their line. And Cedric Wilson is obviously, I think they signed him to probably have a bigger role for the Dolphins than what he was able to carve out with the the Cowboys in his four years here. Dude, he should, I don't
1: know. He seems to me like the kind of guy who might next year catch 40 passes for 780 yards because with all the attention you're going to put on Waddle, And Hill. And uh, and Hill, he's just going to feast. You know, and teams will play a lot of zone to try to take away the speed. But he's going to be a guy who's going to get much lesser corners to deal with. And I think he's going to have a big year.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's really interesting looking back at that class and how they hit. And it's a damn good thing they did because just looking at their 2019 class, man, they missed on that one. Now, see, I hadn't tapped on that. Who's,
1: <laughs> who was the first-round pick in 2019? They didn't
0: have one. That was the year they traded the pick to uh, Oakland for Mar- or Vegas or so- what. Yeah, so that was a Tristan Hill pick in the second yeah, round. missed on that one. Connor right. McGovern. Yep. Tony Pollard, obviously, big hit there. Right. The two Jacksons in the fifth round, Michael Jackson, the corner, and Joe Jackson, the defensive end. Donovan Wilson, who's been okay and, and has shown some things from time to time, I guess, and then Mike Weber and Jalen Jelks in the seventh round. Yeah, they didn't do shit in that draft. No, man. They, I mean, thats <laughs> outside of Tony Pollard, that was almost a colossal, we missed on every single one of these. Yeah, but it started with Tristan Hill. It did, man. Oh, yeah. I, and he's still, I mean, he won't, he's, he's, I still can't believe they drafted that guy. And I hated it at the time. <laughs> and now, three years into his career, I still hate it.
1: Well, sometimes you know for a fact when they draft a guy, like, what are y'all doing? And then sometimes you miss out on it. But that was one where the a collective, like, Really?
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody's yeah, looking no. around and going,
1: why that guy? And there's been no surprise.
0: <laughs> no, not, not, at not at all. Not at all. We thought he was going to be a bust, and yes, he uh, pretty yep. much has been a bust. That's exactly what he's been. As a matter of fact, I didn't even realize this until just looking at it. He has not played an, even half of a season in his three years in the league. His, I think it's seven games is his high for a single season.
1: Well he got uh, next year should be his first year in a long time with no, um, with no offseason injuries he's got to come back from and so my suspicion is whatever he's got, whatever that is, we'll get the best version
0: of that next year. Yeah, but that's that's an interesting look because you know they're going to try and figure out the Tony Pollard situation. I, I think they'd obviously like to have Tony Pollard around. But outside right. of that, I mean, you're not re-signing Tristan Hill. You're not re-signing Connor McGovern. And the other dudes, I, you know, Donovan Wilson, I don't know. But outside of that, the other dudes, I don't even think are in the NFL anymore. <laughs> uh, no, they're not I mean, going to.
1: Donovan, Donovan Wilson's been a nice uh, – he's been – for a six-round pick, he's been a good player. Yeah. Uh,
0: but he'll, he'll move on uh, next year. So out of eight guys in the 2019 class, you're going to have one, Tony Pollard, that you're going to try and bring back. That's it. Four years later,
1: and and they should go get Powell. Powell's an interesting case. How much you pay him for what he does, but anybody that explosive in the NFL, you need
0: to keep. You got to have that guy, man. He, he's Debo Samuel, or he could be if if you learn how to use him and balance him I and Zeke w- a little better.
1: I was gonna say, imagination is the key, man. Can I mean,
0: you figure out how to get him? Figure it out, do it because Shanahan seems to have no problems with it in San Francisco. So use the guy. I like him. I like that the Debo Samuel thing.
1: I think that uh I think that's a good example.
0: It is. You can you can use Tony Pollard in a lot of different ways that for whatever reason at times until Zeke really was getting hurt. They have for whatever reason kind of it feels like put a cap on him at times. But we'll move forth here. We got some stories to get to as we take this trip around the block. And man, you sent me this article and it is about <laughs> I mean it's kind of random. It is so at at the fair park area in dallas they have the hall of state in dallas and they are about to welcome in a 2000 piece remember the alamo exhibit by a dude from pennsylvania who rebuilt the alamo battle and hand-painted all these little figurines to the point where there's even faces and stuff on them is that amazing or what bro it's incredible and, you know, the Alamo is one of those things, I think, in Texas, you kind of grow up like, oh, remember the Alamo? Reading this article that you sent that was in the morning news, I didn't realize that there was so much political back and forth between the battle of the Alamo and how some people view it like, oh, well, you're making Mexico look bad and, and Santa Ana and stuff And versus the, the the guys who died at the Alamo that were fighting for Texas are viewed as heroes and the greatest people of all time. I didn't realize there was all this political back and forth on that. I didn't either,
1: but that's what happens with political stuff. You never realize that.
0: No, oh, man, and, and so that's why, I mean, this thing, this, it's a diorama. And, I mean, it is massive. It is massive, and there's thousands and thousands of these tiny little figurines, and he's got a fully built, like the way it actually looked, Alamo laid out. I mean, I don't even know how to do This is probably the size. It looks like it's the size of a small swimming pool. I mean, I, I want to what I want to
1: know is what makes somebody go, hey, I think this is a great idea. <laughs> That's what I'll I want to recreate it and um, and and put all these figures down and 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 uh, you know paint them and, and do all this stuff and somebody will appreciate it.
0: I don't know, man, and and the fact that it's some dude in Pennsylvania. He's not even Texan. He he's a seventy-five year old who lives in the woods in rural Pennsylvania but apparently his name it's Thomas Feely and he has long been drawn to the history of the battle and i guess he just decided he's and what's crazy about this he started assembling this thing he's been working on it since the year 2000 i can imagine look at
1: that thing and then when you're talking about putting faces on and you know painting the uh, putting the yeah. building the thing and then painting the figures and then putting faces on all that is very t- tedious work man now you gotta understand i got a good friend of mine like a really good friend of mine guy named reginald rutledge and his he's created this business for himself um using that old electric football remember yeah yeah well there's still a community out there of people my age and people who they've taught it to who are younger who play that thing still religiously and, the, and I know you're going to laugh, but no, they play it at a level where the people don't run around in circles, where the people go where they're supposed to go. And there's a whole science to how you do that. Well, he creates the figures for for a bunch of people and dude, he can create them and he paints them. And I've seen him do it. And he's just one guy with his own business doing that. And that's I see why that thing took 20 years to do, man, because if you don't have any help, it's as tedious as it takes,
0: dude. This thing apparently it is one fifty fourth scale. It is fourteen feet by twenty four feet, and it has more than two thousand hand painted figurines. And the guy says it was supposed to go to the Alamo, but apparently this Thomas Feely guy had issues with Alamo management.
1: What <laughs> kind of issues he got with Alamo management?
0: I man. couldn't. I have no idea. I don't know. And so he didn't want to send it down to the, the actual Alamo at, in San Antonio. So this guy from the Hall of State found out about it and got in touch with him and said, okay, well, let's bring it to Dallas and we'll put it on dis- on display at the Hall of State. I mean, this thing is massive. It's, four, again, 14 by 24 feet. It was so curious
1: that I was like, I need to go check this out. Like, I'm not really that curious about most things, but that yeah. thing, I was like, this seems to me like I need to just kind of take a peek and see what it's
0: all about. And it looks incredible. Like the pictures, I mean, it it is a, they're in various states of battle. And it, I mean, it, it's like, it's so spot on meticulous and the way that it, because people forget how big the Alamo actually was because most of the Alamo obviously now is just that, that whatever you would call it, that structure, that facade or whatever that's in San Antonio. And you go there and you're like, oh, this is the Alamo. The Alamo was massive, much bigger than that and that's just what was left of it and so you know when you see it on scale like this and you can see there's a picture in this article of this dude standing in front of it and you see behind him how big the actual mission of what the alamo was you know i was was trying to think about it like how many trips did you take to the alamo dude i have been to the alamo more times and i i I never want to go again I, I've probably been well keep in mind so I went to college in San Marcos which is about 45 minutes north of San Antonio so we would go like on the weekends a lot we would either go up to Austin every once in a while because it's about 30 minutes from Austin but I went to San Antonio many times when I was in college and you just end up at some point because it's right across from the Riverwalk. you just end up stumbling by the Alamo at times I went to the um, Alamo last summer actually for what? So the lady, when she had her birthday last year, we went to the Hill Country and we went to Fredericksburg and her family, her mom and her stepdad and her brother and his wife, I think it was, they, we were all with us and we had gotten an Airbnb in Fredericksburg. Well, I had, this was like leading into SEC media days last year. So I was flying out of San Antonio. So they drove me to San Antonio and we spent like half a day in San Antonio and then they dropped me off at the airport. Well, They'd never been to San Antonio, and so they'd never seen the Alamo. So what do you, of course, you want to go to the Alamo. Yeah, I guess so. I was going to say, we took probably
1: a field trip there every year, man. San Antonio and Austin, state capital, and uh, the Alamo, in like the fourth grade, the fifth grade, the sixth grade, maybe the seventh grade. (laughs)
0: man i i just it, it is and i've said this many times i think it is the most overrated and underwhelming what? tourist attraction that i can recall. Really? it's boring it's small now if you've never ever seen it before i guess there's something to it but it's so small like you go in there and you're like oh this is it and there's just nothing to it i mean it, it's in the middle of downtown san antonio <laughs> i just but i'm telling you
1: I think, uh, and maybe, see, maybe it means more because when you, you know, you grew up in Dallas or Texas, you get Texas history, you hear about the Alamo. Yeah, of course, time. yeah. And all these characters are more like, and you see the street names, whether it's Sam Houston or Bonham or Bowie or, you know, Davy Crockett, and you just see it all over the place, and it just seems like it's so much real. Um, realer, is that a word? Realer seems so much more real
0: (laughs) it's realer you know what i
1: mean like check this out doc we all know world war ii existed in vietnam and korea and all that stuff but if we were to go there and like see like this is where the actual battle took place and here's some you know mementos from there or or stuff artifacts from there it would be so much more powerful you know what i'm saying yep so even though the alamo to us is kind of like yeah it's the alamo whatever well, you actually go and go. So they was actually fighting here like 150 years ago, and you yeah, know, here's the Bowie knife, and you know, here's you know Bonham's thing, and
0: this and that. I mean, that's that's kind of deep, bro. There's there's something to that. I mean, it's it's one of those things again. Like when I went the first time, but the fact that I've been there so many times, I, I like if I never went to the Alamo again, I'd be fine. Right. I feel like it's one of those things you go once, you experience it, you're like, oh, okay, this is what it is, and then you move on. I will say this, and this is, man, this has got to be a couple of hours west of San Antonio. But when they did that 1960 movie, The Alamo, that John Wayne starred in and directed, they right. built a full scale replica of the actual Alamo. It's out just north of a town called Brackettville. It's called Alamo Village, and that's kind of like way out there like almost to Del Rio on the border of Texas. I mean, it is way out Ooh. West of San Antonio, but it is, I mean, it is a legit full scale recreation of the Alamo compound as it would have been in 1836.
1: Wow. Now that probably would have been cool to walk around at least for a little while.
0: Yeah. And it, I mean, it's a movie set essentially cause that's where they filmed the movie, but it also includes a representation of the village of San Antonio de bear at the same time where all this was happening and all that. And, I mean, it's, it's it's actually really fascinating. And again, I mean, it is way out there, way out there. But actually, I wonder how far that is from San Antonio. Because it's, I mean, you know, it's out past Hondo and all that that's out west of San Antonio, like way out in the middle of nowhere. What's it called again? Alamo Village. And it's just north of Brackettville. if anybody knows where that is. like I mean, it is way out there. I ain't never even heard of it. Bracketville. Nobody has. I mean, why would you?
1: (laughs) Okay, I was going to say. And I've heard about most places, but I've just never heard of that, bro.
0: Yeah, I mean it's, and that is something that is really, really cool to see again because it's the, it's it's a set, it's a movie set, but it's it looks like as real as you can get, it's still there some 62 years later, and it looks, I mean, that's the way the actual Alamo was back when 1836 was happening.
1: I wonder if people go and visit on a regular basis.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big tourist attraction. I mean, the problem is is it's, it's way out in the middle of nowhere. Brackettville
1: is a city in Kinney County, Texas. The population uh, was 1,688 at the 2010, consensus, 2010 census. It's uh, only 123 miles west of uh, San Antonio.
0: Yeah, I was just looking at it. To go from San Antonio to Alamo Village, it's 135 miles to the, where that Alamo is. So it's about two hours and 20 minutes west of San Antonio. You know, if you're ever bored and you feel like you want to go.
1: <laughs> well, I think you go and hang out in San Antonio and then get up the next morning and go. And uh, go check out the Alamo and then drive back before yeah. it gets dark. Yeah, something because to do. I'm, not, I'm not driving any lonely highways in West Texas. Uh, after dark no
0: there's a lot man so you have that so enjoy it there you go and if you want to see the the model alamo battle thing it'll be at the hall of state i think it opens here in the next week or so also have this for you and, and i don't know if you are a fan of their music at all but it was shocking yesterday because news came out that one of the great drummers in rock and roll yeah from the foo fighters huh the foo fighters drummer taylor hawkins passed away he died at 50 apparently from a drug overdose i was reading an article on tmz today that said that he had what they believe to be up to 10 different drugs in his system
1: dude i read that and I like i'm i'm not a uh i'm not a big Foo fighters fan i can't tell you i've probably heard their music but i can't yeah you've tell heard the them name. for sure yeah i can't tell you the name of one song they've sung but i i read uh, i read that thing about that many drugs in his system i was just like
0: I wonder what he's trying to escape. Yeah, you know, I mean, addiction is is a horrible thing, man, a horrible thing, and it, it's it's sad to see. They were supposed to play Lollapalooza today, and you know, I'm not a huge Foo Fighters fan. I, I like some of their stuff. Like, you may, they're probably one of the most popular songs would be like Everlong or "All My Life," uh, "Best of You," "The Pretender," "Learn to Fly." And I, I think I talked about this on the podcast a few months ago, Dave Grohl, who is the lead singer and who formed the Foo Fighters, who used to be the drummer of Nirvana. And so Dave Grohl has now gone through the Kurt Cobain suicide with Nirvana and now this drug overdose with the Foo Fighters. But Dave Grohl had a book come out last year called Storyteller, and I thought it was phenomenal. And I, I'm a, I really like Dave Grohl. Because he just seems like he's just super laid back, chill guy. I've seen him interviewed a bunch of times where he just doesn't give a shit, and he's just like, "This is my life, and this is who I am," and he just always seems positive and upbeat. And I really enjoy that. His book was awesome, and so after that happened, I went through and listened back to a lot more Foo Fighter stuff that I, you know, because I've heard a lot of their songs, but I never really put a lot of attention into it, I guess. And so. You know, I went back and listened to a lot of it, and they're very good. I mean, they're a really good band. They've been around for years and years now. I mean, that, that is one of those great rock bands that, that kind of has that lasting power. I mean, they've been around, God, man, I want to say since like the mid-'90s. I'm trying to think. I think their first album came out like in the mid-'90s. I think that's right, like 95, 96. They've been around ever since then, touring huge stadiums. I mean, they're a big-time band.
1: Dude, I think uh, as you're talking about Dave, man, I think, you know, there's a few people who reach complete comfort with themselves. Yeah. And when you reach that point, that's what it's all about, bro. You just don't give a damn about what anybody thinks, about what anybody's doing, because you're so comfortable with who you are and what you're all about. And yeah. most of us spend our lives trying to get to that point. And it's uh, it is uh, utopia when you get there.
0: Yeah, it is. And and Dave Grohl just kind of really comes across like that. And it, it, it it's wild. I mean, that book has some great stories in the way that he is. But I just thought that was crazy sad. You hate to see that. And yeah, that's I was just looking it up. They formed in 1994. The Foo Fighters on the hills, you know, of, of Grohl kind of coming out of Nirvana and all that. And their first album was released in 1995. So they've been doing it for what is that 27 years now that they've been. Doing that, and they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just last year in their first year of eligibility. Uh, how about that? Yeah, that's big time, man, so you had that. The other thing, you sent a picture over, and you're trying to grow a beard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, man. Bearded Jaka, as it were.
1: It's, it's really the result of a bet
0: I have with a friend of mine. Uh, what is the How long will it take who, me to, to grow something a sixteen year old can grow?
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, who was insulting my lack of facial hair, and I was like, "Well, I can grow whatever I want to, man. I just choose to rock like this." <laughs> and then it was it was challenged upon me, and we put a dollar figure on it, uh, but we put an extended amount of time on it. Uh, basically, there's no time limit. Uh, I just have to grow something that somebody would say, "Oh, you have a beard now." Uh, however long that takes and so you know this person okay I, uh, i'll be honest with you i was feeling good one day and i uh, had a couple cocktails and the uh the bet was 150 dollars wow okay that at some point i could grow something that somebody said oh so you have a beard now and uh so i've been on that quest and uh we're about two months in
0: perhaps three i can't remember uh, but what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to ultimately win. We'll see because right now that is definitely not a beard.
1: Now, you know, I thought about this. What what could happen later is you get into a conversation about the definition of what is a beard. Um, and I am going for the y'all, – y'all will not be surprised. I'm going for the chin strap beard, which is basically yeah. – Light down the side, down your jawline, and out your other jawline. I think I can get there, Matt.
0: I it may take me maybe, a full year. Maybe because on the side there, it's, it's not connecting. But see, I think it will
1: connect. Now, you know me, Matt. I don't really like to gamble because I don't like to lose. My brother, who is just as facially hair-challenged as I am, and I say this because my dad, has never had anything other than a mustache. Um, my, okay, let me check you. My brother has a different mother. She has two brothers. Neither of her brothers has ever had more than a mustache, and one of them has never had anything. And uh, her father had only a mustache. So I'm saying that so that I'm saying that my brother is equally follically challenged on his face as I am. Yeah. Well, he came, he started trying to grow something. I harassed him for years. Well, now he finally has something over there that is legitimate. If you looked at it, you say, it's not a good beard. It's certainly not James, uh, what is the basketball player? James Harden. Yeah, it's certainly not James Harden, but it is a beard of sorts there. And so, knowing that, I put this bed into motion. And so I think I'm going to get some connection at some point that will allow me to triumph and uh, take this
0: $150. Yeah, I got to tell you, because what, what you've got right now, is it looks more like what would be known as the Van Dyke. What is the Van Dyke? What you have is, is like Google it, it's Van, <laughs> Van Dyke beard, and that, that's, it's a beard style. And that's kind of like where you've got a little bit of a mustache going and then you've got something on the chin, you know, and sometimes they'll take that mustache and like turn it up, but you don't have to. But like what you have from the front is like that Van Dyke type beard style.
1: Oh, okay. You know what? I can probably get that going.
0: Yeah. And and obviously some of the guys will have a bigger, fuller one, but like the kind of light one that you have. I mean, there's various examples of. You know that and that's what that's called. It's not a fu manchu, it's not a goatee, it's a van dyke, oddly enough.
1: All right, I like that. Yeah, so. I like that. There's hope for there's hope for me. I, that pretty much guarantees me a win at some point.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, cuz you can prove it and be like, "Well, this is a style. It's called a van dyke."
1: Yeah, cuz I can I can probably get that thing done.
0: Yeah, cuz you, you Google right.
1: Did i googled you, it, as, as matt
0: said yeah yeah yeah
1: and ironically there's a picture of brad pitt showing off his
0: <laughs> there's a lot of pictures of, of
1: <laughs> but to the right of that there's three pictures and that first guy I can get because i can grow it up under my chin with no problem yeah uh and then it's starting to spread out a little bit to the sides but uh yeah i'm just you know this is as i like to say this is just, uh, I guess I'm on podcast. I can say it. It's shit you fuck around with
0: during the summer, man. <laughs> Apparently, that's how you do it. Yeah, beards are a thing, man. I always wanted to have one, which is why I have one now. I mean, I, I always want, and for whatever reason, finally it got to a point in the last couple of years where I, my brother even commented on it recently. Like I think it was over Christmas, he saw me and he's like, "Man, he goes, you finally have a beard that looks like a beard. Like it, it looks like it's like a." It's like a legitimate beard. Yeah, it goes it looks legit and I, and I've got a guy that I go to here in Birmingham usually once a month for a haircut and he trims my beard and shapes it nice and all that and it finally got to a point you know cuz I used to try to grow one and it would just be so patchy but I wanted one right. so bad. And so for like a long time. And I don't know why, but for the, like probably right around 40 for whatever reason, and it's still not a big, full thick beard, but at least it's a beard. Like it is something that I can call a beard and that looks like a beard and doesn't look ridiculous and actually connects. Like, Cause for a long time for me, it wouldn't connect. Is that right? Yeah. You had
1: the same problem I've got. So yeah. there's
0: hope. And I don't know why, I don't know why all of a sudden it started to, to grow out and, and fill in a little bit more, but it has, and it's fantastic.
1: Yes. Well, no, you, I've always thought you had a legitimate beard. All right. Well, I'll take uh, it. But but you are talking to somebody
0: who couldn't grow facial hair. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so at that point, anything coming out of my face, you were probably like, wow, that's amazing. Yep, How'd you get that? Much. That's awesome.
1: Now, you got to understand, I've never been, I've never had a desire to have a beard like, oh, I need to, I need to have a beard. Yeah. No, nah, that's never been a deal. Of my, nah. Here's one thing I do find very fascinating. There's no doubt whatsoever that my dude will be able to grow a beard because that dude's already got hair on the side of his face that he shaves off man and i look at him i'm like dude how are you doing that it's like weird. i didn't yeah. really i didn't even shave like literally i didn't even shave until college maybe twenty twenty one, and even now uh before i started messing around with this um I wouldn't, I have to, I, it depends. Like if I have a normal week and I got to do some TV or something, I probably shave once a week. Yeah. Uh, maybe twice if I like have to do something and I'm doing it later in the week and I shaved early in the week. But, you know, is not a big deal to me. I don't have to do it on any kind of regular basis. But my dude, it's clear he's going to be able to grow a full beard, and I don't have any idea
0: where it came from. So I did check the DNA. Yeah, he is mine. But, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know how really that works, for... man, because they say like, like hair on your head, you get from your mom's father. Right. And so what, what's it, like for, with me, it's interesting with my brothers, because Chris, our middle brother, he can grow and has always been able to grow a full beard. He can, he has like a rug for chest right. unless he shaves it. And then I struggled to grow a beard and I hardly have like, I mean, hardly any chest hair and whatnot. And it's interesting, too, because Chris's hair, he's got like a lot of gray in it now, like freckled, like speckled gray throughout his hair. I right. think I might have one gray hair, if that. Right. And, I'm, and I'm two and a half years older than he is. Well, don't worry, brother. It's coming. No, I know it's coming. But I think it's interesting that you can have people that, you know, especially somebody that close in age to you, that that is your brother, that you're with the same parents. And yet hair wise, something in his DNA got passed down that didn't get passed into me.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, the genes are a funny thing. I was talking yeah. to somebody about that this week uh, because he's a lot. His legs are a lot hairier than mine. And it's not like his mother is a hairy person. So clearly it's jumping back from some, you know, some some generational yeah. thing. But the genes are interesting because he has hands and feet. Exactly like my sister, because they're very distinctive, but nobody else in the family has them like that.
0: yeah and and see that's i thought that is fascinating it really is like why especially like for instance like the blood thing that i deal with i have it and chris doesn't have it yet we have the exact same parents i got it from my parents so why didn't he get it yeah you know i don't know and it's just weird like for whatever reason at that spark of conception when they're mapping out your dna and what you're going to be for some reason you know, one baby will pick up one thing from both parents, and the next baby picks up maybe neither or whatever it is. It's really odd.
1: Yeah, Probably the same reason you got all the charisma and the good looks and
0: had none of them. <laughs> he listens to this podcast. <laughs> he's probably laughing as soon as he hears yeah, it. He probably is because he knows, he knows it's not true. He's got sharp jaw. I mean, you can't you can't battle against sharp jaw.
1: Oh, he's got that? Oh, right? yeah, he does. Ah, well, that's part of his success then.
0: Oh, I mean it's you know, Sharp Jaw is irresistible. Everybody knows that. I used to thing joke. More
1: important is the dimple in the, is the cleft dimple. Yeah. I mean, you so can't it's it, pretty much the only thing better.
0: I feel like women are powerless to Sharp Jaw. I don't know how you fight that. <laughs> I've proven it before. One time we were in San Diego on a bachelor trip for my buddy Nick, and there's a group of us and there's these two girls talking at this bar and one like a couple of Nick's friends we kind of knew but we hadn't known as well as we all knew the rest of us. And so we were joking about my brother and how he can just, you know, he has this way with women and whatnot. And, th- and this one guy's like, whatever, like, that's impossible. Go, okay, I'll go prove it. I was like, Chris, I'm going to go over there to these two girls. And when, when I get them laughing and they're having a good time, you walk over and I guarantee you'll they'll forget I'm there. So I do this, I walk over and I'm just like, Hey, what's going on? And they start giggling and laughing. then Chris comes over and I just kind of slip away and they never even notice I left. See, that's And he didn't what? even do anything. He just goes, hi, I'm Chris. And they're like, like sharp jaw. Oh my God. Must be nice, huh? <laughs> I guess. I don't know what it is. It's amazing. <laughs> ah, Genetics, DNA, who knows where it comes from. It's just there. All right, let's continue because we got to have a, a little basketball conversation here. And before we do that, let's not forget about our buddy, Jr. over there at Freeway Tire Shop. I hope you guys have had an opportunity to take your vehicle there. I don't care where you live in the DFW area. You may be thinking, well, downtown Dallas, it's kind of a little further away from me doesn't matter wherever you're at if you haven't been to freeway tire shop yet you are not experiencing trust you are not experiencing high quality work and to me anytime like if i knew there's a mechanic that i can trust and every time i go there i'm good i don't care how far away that dude is i mean granted i'm probably not going from alabama there to drop off my car but if i'm in the dfw area and i find that guy like jr like you did that's where i'd take all my cars dude it's for one reason, man. I mean, most of us don't know how to fix
1: cars. You know that the oil needs to be changed yeah. and, oh, it's not starting, it's either the battery or the alternator, but you don't know how to fix cars. And uh, when you don't know how to fix, man, it's kind of scary because you're at the mercy of your mechanic. Well, I rock with JR because you can trust JR, man. Yeah. And that's that's really what it's all about for me. And it's, as I've told y'all, man, it's you trust him to diagnose the problem and then you trust him to use quality parts to fix the problem. You trust a dude to charge you a fair price for fixing your car, which is hard to do, man. You know, nine thousand dollars for labor. The yeah. part was twelve was twelve bucks. Like, come <laughs> on, bro, really? It's true. And, and then you trust him to stand behind his work. Because um, I dealt with a mechanic, uh, I just took I took it to the dealer on another car I had, and the people screwed it up and wouldn't stand behind it, man. Until I brought uh, photographic evidence, <laughs> they hadn't done what they were supposed to do. And so it's things like that, which is why, again, you find a mechanic that you trust, you rock with him.
0: Yeah, man. And that's JR. That's Freeway Tire Shop. And that is why he is the place to go. Easy to find, too, just north of downtown Dallas, right off 35. You can check him out online at FreewayTireShop.com. And you can schedule an appointment, request your quote, get all that information there at FreewayTireShop.com. So these Dallas Mavericks are coming towards the end of the season. Do you realize now they're going to play pretty much everybody is listening to this on March 28th on Monday. So they play for us tonight on Sunday night. And after they play Utah tonight, they have seven games remaining in the regular season. Three at home. They play the Jazz tonight. Then they play the Lakers on Tuesday night. Then they have a four game road trip and then they come back for two more games at home. And that is the end of the regular season for the Mavericks.
1: Dude. It's been a hell of a season it's a rocky start but they've been one of the best teams in basketball
0: the last uh
1: since the since the start of the new year and so for me because of that expectations have changed uh for the longest it was i don't really know if they're good enough to win a playoff series even though we'd all like for them to do it well now i think they're good enough to win one uh they're one of the two or three best defensive teams in the league uh, the Dinwiddie trade, yeah, man, uh, was incredible for them, and so yeah. Now um, I think uh, the, we need to look at them and go, "Hey, go win a first round series."
0: And it's going to be interesting because that game tonight against the Jazz is—it's very, very likely they're playing each other in the first round. Very likely, yeah. right? Because there's only seven games left, and when you look at the standings and where everything is at in the West. You've got both, both Dallas and Utah have identical records. They're right now. They're both 45 and 29. They're three games back of Golden State, and they're both two games ahead of Denver. So they're going to play each other in the first round. Now it becomes, are we going to see game one in Dallas? or Are we going to see game one in Utah? And that home court advantage goes a long way. I mean, even last year, as we saw against the Clippers, where the road team won every single game until game seven.
1: Well, that's what home court advantage is all about. It's really about game seven, man, Uh, because we know, uh, you know, you have a good feel for how it's going in the first six games, win or lose. But everybody wants to play game seven at your own gym. Uh, It doesn't guarantee you success, but it just means that game, you want to be in front of your crowd uh, trying to close out
0: the series. Yeah, man. And it's. It's interesting because like you talked about this team. Now, granted, they've lost three out of their last five. And I don't know what the hell that was against Minnesota the other night. Just inexcusable. And it, they blew a chance to actually get a game ahead of Utah. But this is a huge one. They need to win. They're at home. And the thing with Utah is if they finish with the exact same record and they're tied, then the Jazz get the tiebreaker because they're – and I got to I, I gotta be honest with you, I totally forgot the NBA has divisions. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. But they do, and the Jazz are going to win their division because they play in the Northwest Division, and they i mean—they basically have that wrapped up right now. And the Mavs are not going to win their division. They are in the Southwest where Memphis has basically already won. I think if Memphis wins one more game, they clinch the division. And so that means that's the tiebreaker, the fact that the Jazz would have the division title and the Mavs wouldn't. That would be the tiebreaker, and the Jazz would get the four spot if they finish with identical records. Who knew? I know, isn't that strange? <laughs> like, it's like I, I, I totally forgot that the NBA has divisions because they're so pointless, except in a scenario of this situation of a tiebreaker.
1: And I think the other thing is they haven't had divisions for a long time that mattered. Yeah, man, so at all. We've all we've always been taught, or over the last seems like ten, fifteen years, that uh, it's all about the conference standing and how
0: you fit in. It is very much so it's all about the conference and now in the modern NBA the last couple of years it's all about okay can you get a top six seed so you're not having to do that play-in thing that they do now for seed seven through ten the Mavs are comfortably in they are going to be fine and then it's okay can you get home court advantage and if they can if they can I do I like the Mavs man I mean this is it's going to be interesting against the Jazz but I like the Mavs a lot to finally get over that hump and win a playoff series for the first time since 2011. Now, after that, I, I, it, you know, look, you're going to have to play Phoenix, I guess, in the second round, and Phoenix probably is going to beat you, but you never know because Dinwiddie's brought something new to them, and the, it feels like Luka has flipped a switch the last month or so.
1: Well, I think he's in the best shape that he's been in, and he's playing his best basketball. And, you know, even if you're Luka, man, it's still all about confidence. And so even though he plays with a high degree of confidence, it's just that right now he feels unstoppable and is showing in his game.
0: I will say that this is one of those weird years that the play in thing is kind of cool. But if you're Minnesota, you're 43 and 32 and you're not in the playoffs, you've got to play a Pelicans team that is 12 games below 500 and is the 10 seed right now. Because, you know, we got so used to the West being super packed. And, you know, for years, it'd be like, oh, my God, the eight seed in the West is like 46 and whatever. Well, the eight seed this year, the Clippers are three games under 500. And then both the Pelicans and the Lakers, the 9 and 10, are 12 games under 500. Whew. I mean, Lakers suck, man. I think it's hilarious. Like, LeBron's not getting a title in L.A. They're horrible. They're, I mean, they're, they're 11 games under 500. The Lakers are.
1: Well, that's what happens when you let... Not just LeBron, but any guy like LeBron, be the GM as well. Sometimes you got to tell those guys, dog, shut up. You go play. They could be a little more respectful than that. But yeah. let me do what I do, bro, and uh, it'll be okay. Because those guys, I want to play with their boys or, you know, who what they think will make a good yeah. team. And it's not all-star teams, man. It's you need a team where guys have a specific fit
0: and some other stuff that they do to make it all work. Yeah, so the Mavs, only seven games remaining, and hopefully tonight is a huge one. They need to win this game against Utah again. That would give them a game up on Utah with seven games to play. If they lose this game against the Jazz, there are only seven games left, and they would have to win two more games in the Jazz in the next seven games if that were to happen so that they could get that four seed. A win tonight is a very big deal for Dallas because they, they've got to keep pace, man. They've got to find a way. <laughs> to stay ahead of them and and I think it'd be awesome to find a way to to get that four seed as Chuck Cooperstein our old friend with the ESPN Voice of the Mavs pointed out home court advantage might be important the Mavs have lost 11 straight games in Utah
1: yeah but uh we, I think the playoffs would be a different beast um but that being said you ain't trying to play in Utah if you don't have to yeah uh you can you are still in control of that uh today This is like a playoff game toward the end of the season, so let's see how you get it done.
0: By the way, Game 7 in playoff history, home teams in Game 7s are 106 and 28. That's why you want home court (laughs) games, brother. I mean, that's what's so wild, man, to think about that, that – Last year against the Clippers, the road team won each of the first six games. And then game seven comes around. Well, 106 and 28 all time in the playoffs for game seven for the home team. It's a big deal to have that if it happens in Dallas. I'm just stoked, man, because I I think playoff Luka the last couple of years has been a treat. And I think this team, it's odd, but the level of defense that they're playing, I I think they can get a playoff series. I really do. I'll I'll be kind of disappointed if they don't get out of the first round this year. The defense is what gives you a crack at it, man.
1: I mean, that's what happens because we all know defense travels, man. Defense can overcome a bad shooting night and can overcome a lot of stuff because it's going to keep you in the game.
0: And then finally, before we wrap it up, and we don't know for sure, but we do know three of the four teams in the final four in college basketball. We saw Duke and Villanova get it done yesterday. Kansas, how about this? Kansas was getting their ass kicked at a point in the – well, I shouldn't say ass kicked, but they were down by six at the half – They have outscored Miami in the second half, 41-14. to And Kansas, Kansas is now up by 21, and there's just a couple minutes left as we're recording this podcast. So Kansas will be going to the Final Four. The one seed, the only remaining one seed, Kansas will finally get back to the Final Four. They will join Duke. They will join Villanova. And Bill Self, this is his fourth Final Four. Kansas has been now in 2008, 2012, 2018. And now in 2022, but, you know, Kansas is one of those schools that's one of the blue bloods of basketball. They haven't won a national championship since 2008.
1: Wow. Just off the top of your head,
0: you would have never guessed that. No, you man. Like, you you surely, wouldn't think about that, yeah.
1: Surely they've come up with something since then.
0: Yeah, and, and then you look at it, and I, I think it's cool what's happening with Coach K and Duke. And I know a lot of people hate Duke for whatever reason and it, cool. I don't. But I think it's cool that in his swan song, he finally – you know, they're going back to the final four and they've got a shot at their first championship. People forget this about Duke, too. They hadn't been to the final four since the last time they won a championship, which was back in 2015, seven years ago.
1: They haven't been to the final four in seven years. Huh? Yeah. Wow.
0: And the Woo-hoo. fact that they got to another one in Coach K's final year is kind of cool. And we'll see what happens tonight. It's North Carolina and St. Peter's. It's an eight fifteen, So we're guaranteed at least an eight seed in the final four. And if North Carolina wins tonight, they would play Duke in the Final Four. That classic Duke North Carolina matchup—they have never met in the Final Four. They've never played each other with that much on the line. How cool would that be? In in, oh, Coach, no. in Coach K's final game against them, too. That'd be amazing, dude. The coolest story though would be St. Peter's. So I'm well, to yes. I mean St. Peter's. I think we're all hoping to see that. That's. What they've done becoming the first elite eight team, first 15 seed to make the elite eight. I mean, basketball is not supposed to be this. You knocked off Kentucky, you knocked off Purdue, and to get to the final four, you'd have to knock off North Carolina. It's unbelievable.
1: No, but you know, they should walk, if they can handle the nerves early on, hopefully they got a shot because the crowd will be with them. And, uh, you know, they, they, have if they can play their game, they got a shot because the pressure's on North Carolina. They no pressure on St. Peter's. The, the question is, can they come out and play a strong first half and not get caught up in the jitters and not get caught up in the moment early on in the game?
0: Yeah, man. And, and it's to see a 15 seed. I mean, this would be the equivalent in college football of, to me, a team like a Texas State or something from the Sun Belt or even like a North Dakota State from the FCS making a run and somehow winding up with an opportunity to play in Alabama or in Georgia. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible dude, what St. Peters is doing.
1: Dude, it's crazy. It's insane, but this is why you love the tournament even if you don't love college basketball like me because stuff like this. Yeah.
0: And I think it's cool because either way next weekend I got to be honest with you, Villanova Kansas, the, the the Wildcats against the Jayhawks, whatever, I don't care. But Duke, North Carolina, in what could be Coach K's last game, they've never, ever played each other in the NCAA tournament, and they could be meeting in the Final Four. Or Duke, St. Peter's, in a 15 seed, trying to do even more than what we thought was possible. I think there's a lot of intrigue to whatever Duke matchup happens. So we'll see. But Coach K is 13th ever Final Four. That breaks a tie all time with John Wooden. They had both been to 12, and now Coach K going to his 13th and I know John Wooden is the wizard and it is a lot of people believe he's the goat, but I mean, coach K doing it in the expanded field of 64, 68 teams now. And when Wooden was doing it, a lot of the times is basically win two games and you're in the final four.
1: Well, I mean, coach K is, you know, the best coach of modern basketball. I don't, I don't think we got to talk about it, debate it. There's others you can have in the conversation, but uh, the way he's been able to do it, longevity, that's what greatness is is consistency and longevity um there's really no argument for it so you know he get he has earned every accolade he's ever gotten and uh you know it's kind of a uh you know college basketball you know the fact that he hadn't won one in so many years is a testament that you know it's hard to win even at this level
0: yeah man it's just it's so crazy to think this dude's been coaching duke since 1980 He's won 1,202 games in his coaching career. He is now 101-30 and in, in the NCAA tournament. Five championships. Last one coming, of course, in 2015. 13 Final Fours with Duke. And this is it. I mean, at most, he's got two games left. I don't know why. I just think... I never had a problem with Duke. And I, I don't know what it was. I, I actually, I think I do know what it was because I liked like that Christian Leitner team because that was when I was a kid playing like middle school basketball, and I was a tall, lanky, white guy. Right. And there was a tall, wanky, wanky? <laughs> but there was a tall, lanky, white dude on Duke, you know, and and I thought, oh, I you know, I could be Christian Laettner. Right, right. And, and so I think that, like, I, ne- I just never, I was the same way with North Carolina. Like, I never hated either one or, or preferred one to the other, but I remember, like, Eric Montross, you know, just those, those types of guys who, you know, back when I was playing basketball in, in middle school and high school, if you were tall, they stuck you on the post. There was no outside shooting. They, that game back then was all about trying to get the ball down into the post and let your tall guys do what they could do. Unfortunately for me, I had the height. I just did not have the body or the strength. And they wouldn't let me play guard. So didn't last right, very long.
1: Was, I am say now you'd be out there um, shooting three. I know.
0: That's what I think about that all the time. I mean, my high school coach, when I got cut from the JV team, literally told me, he's like, you're one of the best shooters we have. But that, you, you can't do anything else. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> Today, you'd be starting. I know. Stay, hey, hey, McLaren, you
1: hang out in the corner and just shoot it, baby.
0: Yeah, we'll get you the ball. You know, we'll have a guy who can bring it up, and we'll create some things for you to drain some threes. But the game, that's not how the game was played back then. No,
1: no. Um, you know, there are guys who, you know, Dirk is lucky he came around when he did.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And, and granted, I've, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I was not ever going to play college. It didn't matter if there was three-point game or not. But I, I would have been a lot better, I think, at the time. And I, I, don't, I don't know, man. They stuck me down on the post, and I'd go up against dudes the same height to me that had 50 more pounds on me, and they'd just throw me out of the way like I wasn't even there. Bro, I believe that. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was 6'2", 150, six two, one fifty oh my god and so think about that so probably as a sophomore junior in high school because I graduated I was 6'2 155 and now I'm closer to 6'3 195 is what I am and I would I would imagine as a sophomore when I was playing JV basketball I was probably six foot six one probably 145 pounds good grief and I'm supposed to play the post are you kidding me those guys, I probably went down there to guard those guys, and, like, <laughs> and they just tossed me aside. <laughs> They're like, what, what is this gnat that's trying to guard me? I was bony, yeah. though. I was real bony so I could use my elbows, and I'd dig that in the chest of guys, so that helped.
1: <laughs> Not much, though.
0: And that's all I had, man. But, man, I mean, I could shoot, and that was all I could do. It's unfortunate. But, hey, it worked out the way it was supposed to because then I got in the theater, and I couldn't have done both. It would have been impossible.
1: Well, see how see how things work out.
0: Yeah, look at it now. And here we are on the jam session podcast coming to the conclusion <laughs> of another fantastic outing. Hell yeah. Yeah. We've got a couple more coming your way. We have our Wednesday and then man, can you believe Friday is April first? Hell no. Yeah. April Fool's Day coming up on Friday, our next uh, two podcasts, and then we're already into April. You got Masters Weekend. You've got the USFL coming. Spring is spring is upon us. It's going to be great. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battles so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy. Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.